Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Everyone gets older, but not everyone grows older. Understanding the difference between the two is crucial for a life of meaning and fulfillment. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at Caleb and considers the physical, mental, and spiritual growth you're meant to experience in every stage of life, including your senior years. Listen as David concludes his message, The Lonely Senior. I remember reading, I think it was Mark Twain who said he liked to ask people this question. Here's the question. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? (laughs) Well, if you ask uh, Caleb that question, at the age of 85, he would probably say, I feel like I'm 40. Because he says in the text that he could do the same things at the age of 85 that he could do when he was 40 years old. And um, I think everyone covets that kind of longevity. We may not get where Caleb got, but we can get a lot further than most of us think if we just stay in the game. And Caleb stayed in the game during many difficult years of challenges in his life, only to get to the age of 85 and accomplish the greatest thing he ever did. We'll talk about that in a moment. I just want to keep reminding you, because as we get close to the end of the month, I I feel like I'm running out of time. I don't want to miss the opportunity to give you a copy of this book because of your investment in Turning Point. Let me just read to you what the back of the book says. Are you feeling lonely, anxious, or lost in these uncertain times? Do you feel as if your prayers have gone unanswered? And God has not forgotten you. The author assures you that God does hear your prayers and will help you through your troubles. In fact, God is right here with you in every moment, in every circumstance of your life. You can trust God when you're afraid. You can recognize that God is at work even when you can't see him. You can praise God in all things, knowing that he is working for your good. As surely as God knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows your heart's concerns. You are not forgotten. I couldn't say it any better. That's what the book says about itself, and that's why I want you to have it. It will be a great blessing to you. It's beautiful. It's enduring. It's the Word of God. Ask for it when you send your gift this month. Well, let's get started with our lesson. Caleb had every reason to be discouraged and just throw in the towel. Let me suggest a couple of reasons. First of all, during that time frame in his midlife, Caleb was up for a promotion. 
The senior officer of the company was about to die, and when he died, there were two men who were standing in place to get the job, Joshua and Caleb. I cannot tell you one reason why Joshua should have been chosen over Caleb, but he was. And when the news came down from the front office that Caleb was not going to be promoted to the top spot, had he been like many I know, realizing there would be no more opportunities for him, he could have gotten very discouraged and said, what's the use, and given up on life, but he did not. The second thing I would like to suggest to you is that when Caleb was at the peak of his career, at the peak of his ministry, at the peak of his life, at the age of 40, do you know where he was? God put him off on the backside of a desert where he was to spend the next 45 years of his life waiting for the rebellious Jewish generation to die off so that God could ultimately take them into the promised land. There was absolutely no realistic and positive goal to motivate Caleb. He was in a waiting game. All his life was wrapped up in just waiting for God's judgment to be carried out on the rebellious Israelites who had refused to believe God. Five years of fighting in Canaan, God kept him alive. Unbelief and bitterness never seemed to enter his life. His powers were at their peak. He was in the desert. I don't know who it was that said it, but someone has written these words that the hardest part of the journey is the middle mile. There is an enthusiasm of the new undertaking which buoys us up at the start. The thrill of reaching the goal is there at the finish, but it is the middle mile when you are a long way from the start and also still distant from the goal. It is that that tests the mettle of the runner. On the middle mile of life's pilgrimage, the believer needs the grace of patient continuance. The soul can summon unusual strength for great sorrows and extra power for mighty deeds better than it can muster the commonplace. The dangers of fierce battle are preferable to the humdrum of the trenches. There are days when we fly and days when we run, but most days we just walk, and those are the hardest. And it was at that time in Caleb's life when he made some long-lasting decisions so that when the time came and God was ready to use him for the greatest moment in his life, he was prepared. And because of that, he challenges my life. Caleb kept growing physically. He could have quit, but he kept himself ready. Like a more recent Caleb, I am enamored with a man by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley, at 85 years of age, said he was not weary in travel. He was not weary in preaching. And I remind you that this man was like he was before modern transportation. He traveled 250,000 miles on horseback. He preached 40,000 sermons. He wrote 400 books, and he learned and spoke 11 languages fluently. He attributed his youthful activity at one time at the age of 85. He said there were four things that kept him going. Number one, he said exercise and a change of air. Number two, having never lost a night of sleep on land or at sea. Number three, getting up at 4 o'clock each morning. And number four, for 50 years, preaching at 5 a.m. every morning of the week. That's what kept him young. When he was 86, John Wesley was annoyed that he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day. When he was 87, he was ashamed that he could not preach more than twice a day, and he confessed that there was a growing urge to lie in bed after 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> 
at 87. Well, men and women, I just want to remind you that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And I haven't been able to find one shred of evidence in the Word of God that tells me that we should stop caring for them after they reach a certain age. Caleb was a man God was able to use at fourscore and five years because he kept growing physically. I'd just like to say to you, if you can't run, walk. And if you can't walk, shuffle. But do something to take care of your body. The second thing I'd like to suggest to you is that Caleb grew old gracefully because he kept growing mentally. I want you to turn with me to the 12th verse of the 14th chapter. Verse 12 says this. Here's Caleb now. He's 85 years of age, and you know this story so well. I don't need to dwell on the details of it. Caleb is 85 years of age, and he says, Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spoke in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakim, or the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I'll drive them out, as the Lord said. 85 years of age, and he wants the biggest challenge there is to have. Now let me remind you of a couple of things. Number one, all of the other men who were assigned to claim the land of Palestine were younger men. How do you know that? Well, there were only two guys that came out of the desert experience because God made all of the contemporaries who refused to believe God at Kadesh Barnea die off. And so the only two that came out of that were Joshua and Caleb. And so I can promise you that of all of the men who were challenged to go in and settle the land of Palestine, Caleb was the oldest. And yet here's the oldest guy on the team, and he wants the biggest job. He wants the mountain. And it's not just an ordinary mountain, folks. It's a mountain where the giants are. The Anakim are there. And those are the fellows that frightened off the majority of the people back in Numbers chapter 13 and caused them to believe you couldn't settle that land because there were giants there. Caleb said, hey, I'll take that one. I'll take that assignment. Just give me the mountain. He was the oldest man. He asked for the toughest assignment. Why? Because he still had a lot of challenge in his life. He'd kept growing mentally. He hadn't died off. He had a dream, and he had a goal, and he wanted to be involved right up until the end. Now, I want you to go back with me by way of validating the significance of this to the 13th chapter of Joshua in verse 1. And there we're told that the lands at the end of Joshua's life are still unconquered. And I want you to notice this. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remains yet very much land to be possessed. All right? They hadn't gotten the job done. All of these younger men who were supposed to be possessing the land had not gotten the job done. In fact, I can give you their report card. Turn to chapter 13 and verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Geshurites, nor the Mechathites, nor the Geshurites and the Mechathites dwell among the Israelites to this day. What were they were supposed to do was to go into the land and drive out the inhabitants and settle the land. Verse 13 says they hadn't gotten that part of it done yet. Now, notice chapter 15 and verse 63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. They failed driving out the Jebusites. They didn't get that done either. Notice chapter 16, verse 10. And they drove not out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Notice chapter 17, verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. 
Notice verses 16 through 18 of the 17th chapter. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, Thou art a great people and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine. For it is a wood, thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and though they be strong. But the record is clear that they didn't do it. They never got it done. Here are all these young bucks with this assignment to go in and drive out the inhabitants, and the only record we have is of their failure. They didn't get it done. Now, let me give you Caleb's report card. Turn over to chapter 15. Verses 14 and 15. I love it. Chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak. Now, we don't have to say much more than that. That's the whole deal. Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Haman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debar, and the name of Debar before was Kirjath Sephar. You see, now caleb has got the giants out of the way. Now he's going to make a game out of the rest of it. Now, I would suggest this game, but this is what he did. Notice. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath Sephar and taketh it, to him will I give Aksai my daughter to wife. So he said, Now, look, I've taken care of the giants, and I've gotten them out. And I'll tell you what, if you go up and get this other fella, whoever gets him gets my daughter. Now, that's the way they did things back then. We don't do it that way now. But he had his troops so motivated that they conquered everything that was in their domain to conquer. At 85 years of age, he had all of those challenges, and he got everything done that he set out to do. He continued to be what he had been at Kadesh Barnea. For you remember back in Kadesh Barnea, he was a positive thinker then. All the rest of them said, you can't do it. Caleb said, hey, with God, we can do it. He had not changed one bit. He was a brave man among cowards. He was a tough-minded man among weak-minded men. And it's just a reminder to all of us that it is our attitude of heart, not our activity, that determines whether we are young or old. You are old at 40 if you have stopped growing, if you've stopped accepting challenges. God's dimensions in life are not bound to the years of time. I'd just like to stop for a moment and remind you that our society conditions us against such a lifestyle. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But our society tells us that we can't keep dreaming after a certain year. I remember reading a book by Bruce Larson on health, and it's a very interesting book. He's a very interesting writer. And he says, When I was a small boy, the adults around me were singing a song which invariably brought tears to their eyes. When I grow too old to dream, I'll have you to remember. For when I grow too old to dream, your love will be in my heart. End of quote. And Larson said, I want to tell you that when you grow too old to dream, you're too old. For dreams and visions are the stuffs of life. That's true. When you stop dreaming, it's all over. You're not waiting to die. You've died. You're just walking around in a body dead. Perhaps the greatest aerial troupe ever to perform in the circuses of our generation was the Flying Wallendas. Some of you have seen them and you've read about them. The patriarch Carl Wallenda recruited and trained his own family members to perform their daring acts for which he was the architect. They were famous for a living pyramid formed on a high wire without a net. 
Imagine the drama of two men standing on a thin wire holding up a pole which supported ultimately about 10 other people who happened to be all of their family members. No circus lover will ever forget the terrible day that pyramid fell while they were performing in a Midwestern town. Two performers were killed and two were injured for life. For several days, the Wallendas did not perform again. Then it was announced that they would perform again and that they would climax the act with a human pyramid formed by their now diminished troop. Of course, the press was on hand to see what would happen, to photograph and report the event. At the end of the act, old Carl Wallenda recalled, the inevitable question was this, Mr. Wallenda, what made you go back to the act after that tragic fall a few days ago? He seemed to be surprised at the question. And without a moment's hesitation, he said, to be on the wire is life. All else is waiting. He was an octogenarian, or close to it, but he did not lose the joy of the risk that keeps life meaningful as you grow old. You know, men and women, we have gotten the idea somewhere along the way that a life of safety is what we ultimately look forward to, a life of being secure. But a life of safety is no life at all, whatever your vocation may be. We are programmed from an early age to start providing for a safe and secure future. We have pension funds, retirement benefits. We work toward removing all of the risk from our lives by the time we are 65 years of age. Yet in the three societies that sociologists have studied, where people normally live to be 100 and frequently to 120, there is no special treatment for the aged, none at all. There are no retirement homes where people can spend their declining years playing shuffleboard. Scientists who have studied these societies have found they have nothing in common in terms of climate, diet, geography, or lifestyle. But in all three places, the inhabitants are expected to live normal lives with no cushion of safety. They continue to work, tend fields, and keep shops until they die at 100 plus. I am convinced that God did not invent old age. Death is his gift, but old age is man's invention. It is a cultural blight in our lifetime. We begin to be old when we stop dreaming and when we stop having goals and stop accepting challenges. At 85, Caleb still is going strong because he has kept growing mentally. Now, let me give you the third one, and this is by far the most critical, and that is he not only kept growing physically, he kept growing mentally, but he also kept growing spiritually. When he was 40 years of age, God gave a report about Caleb that is overwhelming. I want you to see it in your Bibles, if you will. Turn back to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. This is back in the realm of Kadesh Barnea. But it says in verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, hath followed me fully. Him will I bring unto the land whereunto we went, and his seed shall possess it. God's word says that when Caleb was 40, he followed the Lord fully. Now he's 85, and we're in 14th chapter of the book of Joshua, our text for today. And I want you to read with me in Joshua chapter 14, verse 8. 
God said at 40 that he fully followed him. In verse 8, at the age of 85, Caleb speaks to his own spiritual prowess. And he says, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. So we have God's statement and we have Caleb's statement. But I want you to notice that verse 9, we have Moses' statement. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. The thing that kept Caleb going was not just that he cared about himself physically and that he kept alive mentally, but Caleb was a man who was deeply committed to God. He was not a partial follower of God. He was a wholehearted follower of God. And I'm going to say something that could be very easily misunderstood because I certainly do not begrudge older people the right of relaxation and travel and vacation and all of that. But let me just make an observation that I see among many Christian people the determination that when they have wholly followed God up until retirement age that now they've earned the right to partially follow Him until they die. And I can't find that in the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have the right to back off and enjoy one another and to see some of the sights. But you know, there's a growing number of older Christian people who have gotten the idea that they've paid their price and they've done their work. And now it's time for the younger generation. And they're going to just sit back on the sidelines while the young bucks do the job. I'd hate to have to meet Caleb with that in my mind when I get to heaven. Because you see, when you stop serving God, you stop growing spiritually. When you stop being involved in what God has for you to do, you lose some of the edge of your own spiritual life. I don't know any Christian people who can sit back and relax and be everything God wants them to be. Involvement in serving God is very much a part of your growth, and it doesn't have to stop no matter how old you are. We review the life of this man, and we sense that something very different is happening with him. He's 85 and growing. He remembered God's promises to him that are recorded over and over again in the scripture, and he lived his life in response to them. Someone, I think, describes how it works in these words that I'd like to share with you. He says, you tell me I'm getting old? I'll tell you that's not so. Oh, the house I live in is worn out, and that, of course, I know. It's been in use a long, long while. It's weathered many a gale. I'm really not surprised you think I'm getting somewhat frail. The color's changing on the roof. The windows are getting dim. The walls are just a bit transparent, and the looking rather thin. The foundation's not so steady as once it used to be. Yeah, I know the house is getting shaky, but my house isn't me. My few short years can't make me old. I feel I'm in my youth. Eternity lies just ahead, a life of joy and truth. I'm going to live forever there. Life will go on. It's grand. You tell me I'm getting old. You just don't understand. The dweller in my little house is young and bright and gay, just starting on a life to last throughout eternal day. You only see the outside. That's what most folks see. You tell me I'm getting old because you've mixed my house with me. See, 
Getting old has nothing really to do with how we're perceived outwardly. It has everything to do with what's going on inside, where we really live. And I want to ask you, I know you're getting older, but are you growing older? What a question that is. A little introspection, good for all of us. Well, uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about God's human cure for loneliness. And then uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to talk about God's heavenly cure for loneliness. And Friday, we're going to finish up by talking about slaying the giant of loneliness. So we got some more loneliness messages on their way, and I hope you will be with us every single day. And in the process, if you haven't already done so, when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of August, we would love to send to you our way of saying thank you to you a beautiful book, a 190-page hardcover gift book, 10 chapters, and each chapter provides comfort and encouragement for when you may feel alone. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during challenging times, and I want to send this to you as my way of saying thank you for your gift. I just noticed as I was looking at the book today, it has a beautiful ribbon uh, in it so you can keep place with where you're reading. You'll want to read this. I don't think it'll take you very long. Some of the people that I've talked to who have read it did it in one sitting. You can do that easily. Uh, it will be a blessing to you and to someone you may want to share it with who's going through a tough time. And I hope you'll ask for your copy and send a gift when you do it to help us do what we're doing here. Well, friends, we'll be back tomorrow, as I mentioned, with the uh, beginning of some kind of wrap-up messages, God's Human Cure for Loneliness tomorrow. Don't miss it. We'll be right here on this good station. Till next time, I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you send us your personal story of Turning Point's impact? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, God Has Not Forgotten You, and learn to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Overcoming Loneliness here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. In the early days of computers, the acronym G-I-G-O was often used. G-I-G-O stood for garbage in, garbage out. If you wanted the computer to give accurate information, 
you had to give it accurate data. The human mind is like a computer in that it mirrors the information we feed it. A verse in Proverbs captures this idea when it says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. We become like what we think about. That's why the Bible says to think on those things that are true, noble, pure, excellent, and lovely. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's thoughts on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.